What's up? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hi, friends. Rob here, and it's another Robcast. And uh, my beloved long-lost friend slash sister slash confidant slash colleague <laughs> slash trailblazer, Elizabeth Gilbert is with me. Hi, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> and it's 9,000 degrees in Los Angeles this week, so normally I would record in a different space, but we're in um, at our dining room table because there are no air conditioners or fans that would... So that's why there are kids coming and going. Rhea's coming over at some point? Yeah, my best friend is going to be arriving at some point. Yes, there are kids doing homework on the premises. There are... Life is in session. Kristen Bell is here. Hi, Kristen Bell. Hello. So um, that's why... So if you, if you get distracted or if it sounds like we're talking in a larger room than normal, it's because we are. And it is all the degrees outside. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> all the yes. degrees that there are. Yes. So, it's so um, nice to be back on the Robcast. It's so well. Last time was fantastic, oh. and um, so I decided you're now a regular. So when you're around, awesome. And we last saw each other in New York. Yes. At um, I when came I was to on your show tour, but I didn't seem the right time to do a, a Robcast. But we had fun time anyway. Yeah, um, and it was pretty electrifying to see that show. It was so, I, th- I think I called you that night after the show and I was like, are you okay? Because <laughs> You did. Because, and I think I wrote something on Instagram, like he put out so much energy, I can't believe he didn't explode into a multi- combust, Spontaneously combust like the drummer combust. in Spinal Tap. Like, and at the end, um, wow, I don't even know how you did that, but it was so cool and exciting to be around that. It was very wonderful. And, uh, well, thank you. You know, you're the best. Uh, well, you're He's kind. the best, that Rob. You're kind. Um, so we nice always to have fun talking. Sunny Los Angeles. It's funny when I went over and picked you up at your hotel. You got in the car and we immediately started laughing. <laughs> I said like, we probably should just record. I should just have the thing recording then. So it's so ridiculous. So we I, keep finding each other again and again. So I'm trying to to. Um, so I was thinking what would be interesting would be to see if people had questions for you yeah. and just put that on um, last week's podcast and then on Instagram and people have been sending like crazy questions. I saw some of the questions on Instagram that were just ludicrous and I was like, should we just answer those? <laughs> should we just answer the joke questions or should we go for the real ones? What do you, so, what do you think? So um, I'm just going to pick through here okay. and just pick up random ones and see what you think okay. and then we'll go in all sorts of different directions see what happens. So here's, um, we'll start here. Do you have a morning routine and if so, what is it? Hmm. Um, it depends what season of my life I am in, because I do my creativity based on season, not based on day. Um, it's a, so if I am in the season for, like right now I'm on the season for promoting a book, because I have a book coming out in a few weeks. And so that is taking up all my time. So the first thing I do in the morning is sort of what can I do to attend to that? Um, so. You know, what does that farm animal need? <laughs> you know, like it is like farming. Like, I gotta milk these goats. I gotta, you know, like collect the eggs. So the first, thing, what do I have to do um, that is in service of that book, right? Um, but at the same time, I'm also working on a novel, and I don't want it to slip. So I've do- dedicated 20 minutes a day, because you can always find 20. Even 30 yeah. seems intimidating, but I've dedicated 20 minutes a day to doing a little tiny bit of research on that book, just to keep my hand in it just to not forget why I love the story, just to remind the idea not to leave me, just to kind of keep it alive and awake. Um, so I tend to that. Um, if I am in the full out writing season, which is my favorite season of my life, but it only comes every three or four years because my books tend to take a lot of preparation and, and research, then my morning routine begins the night before because I think you make a decision the night before if you're gonna write the next day. And so I make that decision 
Um, actually, I start making that decision months before, and I clear out my calendar, set aside a huge block of time, and it's just about taking care of the machinery of me to keep me functioning at the highest level so that my mind can do this work. So the most possible amount of sleep, the best possible food, the least amount of alcohol, the least amount of company, the least amount of aggravation, um, and then it's to bed at 9.30, awake at 5, 5.30, and writing in those beautiful early dawn mornings before the world wakes up and starts trying to catch you. I remember you told me that you literally email close people and say, I'm going off the grid for a little while. Yeah, you're not. You're gonna, probably not gonna hear from you're me. You're not gonna hear from me. I have a friend who, took an action that I think was so bold, but when he was working on a huge creative project, he he actually <laughs> made a list of like the five people he cared about in the world, and he said, these are the only people I'm gonna talk to for the next two years. And everyone else, like he didn't even answer their emails. He didn't even send, he didn't even say, you're not gonna hear from me. They just never heard from him <laughs> for the next two years. I don't quite have the audacity to do that, but I thought, holy cow, can you imagine if you believed in yourself and the people that you love and in your work so much that you just did that? Yeah. That's outrageously liberating and exciting to me, even though I can't quite bring myself to that point. Five friends. And that's it. And those people he saw and and everyone else was basically dead to him. (laughs) I don't know what that means, but... It's interesting what you said about 20 minutes, because whenever I do any talking about creativity, I always say everything I'm about to say, I'm talking about 15 minutes a day. Like, especially because in yeah. my world of, like, giving messages, yeah. I'm not talking about eight hours a day of studying because you'd be disconnected from actual life. I'm talking right. about taking a whack at it each day, just a little bit, because yeah. over time. So I assume if you're doing, like, 15 minutes, 20 minutes a day, you check amazing. in. If you do, if you have that simple that discipline, yeah. a month in, you have a ton of stuff. I wish I could show you the stack of index cards of notes, thoughts, ideas, and inspiration that have come to me about this novel in the last two weeks of 15 minutes a day. Yeah. Um, it builds. It yeah. accumulates yeah, yeah. incredibly. And that's how I finally broke through on my meditation practice, I think. I say that, you know, knocking on wood because I've always tried to have a regular. I dropped it down to 15 minutes. Um, and I also took the word meditation out of it, and I just call it. I have it. I have it on my iPhone as a thing to do every day, and it says contemplate your existence. <laughs> so I set aside 15 minutes a day to com- contemplate my existence, whatever that might mean that day. Like maybe that means meditation, maybe that means prayer, maybe that means being grateful, maybe that means trying to solve a problem. But that now is my like spiritual time, and it's only 15 minutes because I can't seem to ha- sustain it for any longer. That's a long time to contemplate your existence. Yeah. And it's a long time to think about creativity. 15 minutes. You got that. You don't have to quit your job and move to Paris. Shave your head. Change your name. All you got to do is... You got 15 minutes. You can do that. Yeah. We can all find that. Okay. Um, This person, really interesting. I've heard you talk about this when we were doing those Q&As. This person says, what advice do you have for somebody scared to even start something? And I love hearing you talk about being scared and fear. Okay. Um, here's what I've done with fear in my life. First of all, full disclaimer, I am a totally terrified person. Um, I am an exceptionally freaked out, very high-strung, nervous, fearful person. So when I talk about fear, I am not talking out of my ass. I am talking from lived experience because I know everything about fear. I know it's first, middle, and last names. I know it's social security number. I know it's mother, mother's maiden name. I know everything about it. Um, so I do know what I'm talking about here. And I also know a lot about creativity. And I know that um, fear and creativity uh, go hand in hand and that you can always expect fear to arise whenever you're doing something that's creative um, or new uh, and and 
that is because creativity asks you to enter into realms with uncertain outcome and fear hates any realm of uncertain outcome. That's its job. And so the way that I've learned to handle this over the years is to just have conversations with both of them all the time. I've personified these things in my life. And I have, when I say conversations, I mean literally, if you come to my room where I work, I'm talking to fear out loud all day. Um, and especially at the beginning of a project. And I'm just trying to reassure it. I'm trying to explain to it what's going on because fear is this deeply vital, beautiful, magnificent evolutionary survival force that has no subtlety. Um, it doesn't get art. You know what I mean? It doesn't, it doesn't know. It's kind of dumb. It's massive, muscle-bound, incredible, powerful thing, but it's not, it's not clever, you know? Um, so I talk to it like it's sort of my big, dumb cousin who's my security guard who's scared that someone's going to hurt me, and I just talk to it, and I just always start the same way. I always say, um, listen, fear. Whenever I feel it rise up, I just do this. I say, fear... Um, First of all, thank you so much for the way that you serve me and all the times that you have saved my life because I know that there have been many times that, that you have and I'm here today and I'm alive because of the times you told me not to walk down that street, not to get in the car with that guy, not to trust that person and you were right and, and I owe you my life, literally. So let's begin with the gratitude. Instead of hating on fear and piling on it like we do, just thank it. And then I say, but listen, I don't really need your services today because all I'm trying to do is write a poem. <laughs> no one's going to die. <laughs> there will be no bloodshed. It's okay. You can, you can put the gun down. Um, it's, just a, it's just an essay for a magazine. It's okay. Where no one's going to die. And it really works. Um, and, and the other thing I have to do is modulate. I also talk to my creativity because my creativity is my wild young sister who has no sense of reality or fear or, or the world at all. And she wants me to do everything all at once. So I have to sort of moderate between the two of them. So I go back and forth saying to my fear, like, thanks a lot for you know the way you care about me, but I don't really need you right now. Um, but thank you. I love you. You're great. And then I turn to my insane, young, crazy, creative part, and I say, I love your energy. Love that you want to do everything in the world. I do have limited hours of the day that I'm awake, um, so we're only going to do the one project right now. And, and it's just this constant sort of like going back and forth between these members of the family who live in my mind um, and, and just explaining to them the circumstances, asking them to stand down, asking this one to step up. Um, and that seems to work for me. That's so good. <laughs> That's so good. Because I, I have to say... This whole thing I dislike about fear is the whole cultural energy around like, kick your fear in the ass, punch it in the face, knock it out. This really aggressive combating of fear. And I feel like, look, I don't know about you, but anything I've ever attacked has attacked me back twice as hard. Yeah. yeah. You know, so all I see when I see someone trying to kick fear in the butt is that fear is going to come down on you like a ton of bricks, even harder. Like, what if you just we're kind to it and grateful. Like, I don't think we're grateful enough to fear. We're all here because our ancestors were terrified of stuff and they survived, you know? Yes. We don't show enough gratitude. Right, right, right. And it's not about the denial of fear, it's about the integration of it. Yeah, it it's has not a that place. You're, like, you gotta need to get rid of fear. No, just integrate, let it be a part of yourself. Yeah, it has a place. And then move past it. It has yeah. a place. Um, I was I was in the ocean. Just you had your wonderful podcast about almost drowning. <laughs> I was in the ocean a couple weeks ago, and I was like, you know what? 
this isn't, you're not a strong enough swimmer to be where you are. You got to go in. And that's a moment when I will bow down to fear. You're right. Going yeah. in. Um, yeah. uh, but not when I'm trying to write a book. <laughs> I'm not going to drown in the book. It's going to be okay. <laughs> I, have this, I had this very, very large friend who used to be like, someone wants to hurt you. Um, yeah. He's this muscular 6'5", who would storm into any situation. Um, and he had this giant beard and he'd be like, I'm trying to hurt you. And it was like, sometimes I'm so glad he's there. Yeah. And he'd stumble in like, be careful. Um, but other times it'd be like, I'm sending an email. (laughs) (laughs) So it's almost like a character in a play that just keeps coming in going, this guy messing with you. This is my dad. (laughs) (laughs) Right, 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 right. He's hugging me. So it's like, just let the character, it's like Kramer and Seinfeld. He bursts in every once in a while. Everything okay. Be careful. No. And then you're like, Hey, thank you. Because every once in a while, that things were on fire. Right. So I did actually need you. Thank you. And right. other times, we're, we're good here. And this is why I feel like it's such a cool thing to personify all the different parts of yourself in ways that allow you to be affectionate toward them rather than afraid of them. Yeah. Um, you know, so I see so much fear of pe- people. have so much fear of their fear. They have so much anger at their fear. You know, what if you had affection toward your fear? What if you're like, oh... God, you're so so cute how you just come through you're the right. window every time you right. think something's wrong with me. Right. Miss, like, hey, Kool-Aid. Like, but you don't, you know. It's so precious the way you flex your muscles. Oh, so sweet. By how the way, much you care about me, but I'm, I'm good. It's interesting. You've seen Inside Out? I haven't, but I heard about it and I was like, that's what I do all the time. I've been doing that for years. Yeah, well, years. what's really interesting is brains, people have been studying the brain for a while now. That movie personifies them and millions of people go, oh, I got it. But if I just talk to you about your cerebral cortex and your frontal right, cortex right, right, and the right, limbic right. system, we'd all be like, please, right, right, right. I'm already bored. Yet, you just give, you just personify it and instantly we have a, a way in for right. many of us who just the terms wouldn't make any sense. A metaphor. Yes. There you go. Okay. So, ooh, I imagine that Liz, like us, kept daily is the name of this person. This is their- Kept? K-E-P-T? Yes. K-E-P-T daily. K-E-P-T Daily, you're on the air. Um, I imagine that Liz, Hello, like caller. the rest of us, receives <laughs> has received criticism for choice, personal, professional choices. What tools does she use to remember their criticism isn't really about me, it's about them, and to shake it off? Ooh, a little Taylor Swift reference. <laughs> I like it. I'm a huge Taylor Swift fan. Kristen is too. We just saw Taylor Swift. I'm unabashed Taylor Swift fan, so I appreciate the nod The there. shake it off thing. It's about them and shake it off so that she can continue to move forward in her own integrity. Um... Okay, first of all, I do not like to be criticized. I like to be praised. And in that way, I'm totally different from any human. <laughs> I like to be loved. I like to be praised. I like to be liked. I don't like it when people are mean to me. I don't like to be hurt. Um, this is a fairly universal way of being in the world. Um, there have been things that people have written about me that have never left my the, the vault of my mind. Um, I could pull them up on the highlights reel because it still kind of hurts, you know? I'm like, I yeah. still, that still really hurt. That really hurt, that article in that United Kingdom newspaper. Like, boy, that was painful. Um, and and I wish I'd never read it. And I wish I'd never let that woman come to my hometown, <laughs> meet my friends and do that. You know, like, yeah. so, so things, you know, things happen that are painful. Um, did I get this from you? Did I steal from you the idea of the difference between the ego and the soul? Or did I steal that from Mark Nepo? I remember us talking about the ego and the soul and um, how the one says it. Okay. So I can't that. even quote myself. <laughs> Who did, did, did we steal these ideas from? Um, here's what I find very helpful. Um, the, the way that you naturalize 
and let it be okay that it hurts is that you allow again to go back to the different parts of yourself you say okay this is this hurts because i have an ego and my ego just got really hurt by that because that was painful because somebody said something that they got right in they got right under they hit me where i live they attacked the thing that's really precious to me they revealed the thing i'm really shameful about or fear about myself um that just happened and that's that is an ouch uh now your ego is a is an important part of your of your being without it who did I oh your friend Carlton said the other day you meet a guy with no ego you meet a man with no ego you've met no one right you need your ego to sort of give you your personality and your boundaries and your desires and your hopes and dreams and all that kind of stuff um, but it's very sensitive and it's also very hungry and all it wants is more good things all it wants is more money more praise more love more affection more affirmation more units sold it wants it just doesn't know how to do anything but want you know and so the part of me that wants only to be loved and praised I recognize what that is. That's my human ego. Guess what? I'm a human being. It's part of part of my makeup. We all have that. Um, here's the good news. I also have a soul, and I know that, and I know that my soul is unaffected by these things. That I have another part of me. I have part of me that's in pain about this, and I have part of me that isn't. Um, and and if I can remember to check in with my soul, whenever my ego has been wounded, and ask my soul. How you doing? My soul's like, fine, I'm doing great. <laughs> still here, still great, still still part of the miracle, still terrific. And then I say to my soul, well, what do you want to do now? Should we quit participating in the world because somebody hurt our feelings? And my soul's like, no, I want to make stuff. I want to do things. I want to be creative. Let's go make another book. You know, um, let's go do it. And as long as I keep checking in and my soul keeps saying, do you, you know, I keep saying to my soul, you still want to do this? Still want to put yourself out there in public where people can maybe make fun of you? My soul's like, yeah, I do. Because I want to be a participant in creation, and that means being exposed a little bit. So that's all right. Let's do it. You know, um, and I also feel like as a writer, it's kind of part of the contract. Like the highest part of me is able to see if I'm allowed to make something and put it out there in the world which is an expression of myself, other people are allowed to have a reaction to it. Like, I don't get to be the only one who gets to talk, you know? Um, even though it seems like that whenever you're around me. <laughs> if I get to put something out, other people get to react. That's the inhale yeah. and the exhale. Now, how I protect myself from it now is that I just try and I don't seek it out. I will never Google my own name and, and I will not read a mean review. If a friend says there was a really nice review of you, I'll read that because that makes me feel good. I like it. But I won't go seek out people attacking me because I know that it's hurtful and it doesn't serve me. And anyway, it's too late. The book's finished. I can't fix it. Yes. You know? And if you don't like the book, it probably wasn't for you. That's all right. That's okay. Not for everybody. And I would rather have a voice and be criticized than be in a corner with a blanket over my head. So true. So true, Lise. It's the tax you pay for participation. Yes. So well said. I guess I could have said that at the beginning and skipped the whole long story. I know, but it was fantastic. <laughs> um, a bunch of questions about how do you distinguish between selfish, uh, about just doing stuff for yourself versus being genuinely joyous for being a part of humanity? How do you make choices? It's interesting how many questions are about when do you know that you're being selfish and when do you know that you're being true to your true self? and. The simplest it's fascinating answer, with how many people have that Selfishness question. is such a problem for us in, in the West, and especially with the whole 
Protestant work ethic, self-sacrifice, martyrdom path. Um, we were just discussing this earlier, you and I and Kristen, about um, the fear of pleasure that people have um, in this culture, the distrust. Your, your hilarious thing about why is it a guilty pleasure? Why is it guilty to eat a piece of chocolate? Like, if you murder someone, you know, you should feel guilty. Guilt, guilt. right. Eat a piece of chocolate. Chocolate, not guilt. You should have a different word for that. You know, like, that's a heavy word to throw in. They're like, oh, I feel so guilty. I ate a whole chocolate bar. All right. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, I heard now, I don't know if this is true, because I've never followed up on it, but somebody once told me that in Mandarin, there are two different words that we translate in English as selfish, because we do not have these two different words. We only have the one. And one of their words means doing something that's beneficial for you. And the other word means doing something that's greedy, hoarding, and taking from others. See, they separated out those two yeah, ideas. Good. We didn't. Mm-hmm. So, so we put those two ideas into one. So whenever you do something that's beneficial for yourself, it goes under the file of selfish, when actually maybe it's just something that's beneficial for you. Um, and maybe that's very different from doing something that's greedy, hoarding, or stealing from another person. Um, right? Yeah, and when you think about how you view the universe... The idea that if I've done something good for myself, then I must have therefore taken it from you or deprived right. you of it implies that the universe is like a pie and there's only like three slices. Right. And if I took one, there's only two left for everybody else. Right. As opposed to a generative, generous view of the universe right. that assumes that it's growing and expanding and there's more and more and more. Right. Pleasure and happiness, they're not like taxi medallions and they only give out seven. Right. I got four. Tough. You can have all of them. And here I want to bring up that line that I texted you the other day because it made me so excited from the Talmud that said, you will be called to account on Judgment Day. A man will be called to account on Judgment Day for every... There's an adjective in there. So wait, wait, wait. Rightful pleasure. I have it, I have it here. It's not rightful pleasure. Legal pleasure. Legitimate pleasure. Permitted pleasure that you could have enjoyed but did not. I'm going to let you find it, and then you can read it. I literally took a screenshot of it because it was so awesome. I love I, the the idea of it, essentially, is that it is not just okay to have pleasure in your life. It is actually kind of a sin not to, um, if you have been given your senses and a human body. and, a, and here, here, I, found, I took yeah, a picture of it when yeah. you sent it to me. A person will be called to account on Judgment Day for every permissible thing he might have enjoyed but did not. <laughs> I love it. It's so generous and humane. You can imagine a deity looking at you and saying, wait a minute, you spent 75 years on Earth on that amazing planet that I made with the senses that I gave you? I gave you food and water. I gave you pizza and wine. I gave you movies and music. I gave you Yosemite. I gave you surfing. And, and you then, denied it? And you denied it and then blamed it on me. <laughs> what? Also... What were you doing for 70 years? You didn't have any ice cream? <laughs> like, and when you did, you didn't enjoy it? You didn't let yourself enjoy it? What do you... Who do you think I am? What do you, th- what do you think this thing what is? What are you doing here? <laughs> so for me, and listen, I'm, I'm prey to this too. I was raised um, by, you know, Scandinavian people. You've seen Bergman films. You know, we, you know you're, not supposed to, you're not supposed to have pleasure. So it, so it comes up in my life, but whenever it does, I ask myself, are you doing something that's beneficial for your life? Or are you doing something that's greedy, hoarding, and taking from another person? And let me tell you how many times I do things that are greedy, hoarding, and taking from another person. Like, basically never. I'm like, I don't walk around doing that. And you don't either. Like, we're, you know, mostly I'm just... Well, what's funny is when you meet, like if somebody wrote a book or they've influenced you, and you get to finally meet them, 
you've like bought their book, you've paid, you've bought the concert shirt, you've bought tickets to see them. And Chris and I always laugh because the first thing you do when you meet somebody who you've been supporting them is you thank them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, that's so great. Like how did that person right. being true to themselves? Right. And people say things like, I'm so thank you for, thank you so much for being you. Um, how did that person pursuing them, pursuing their true self, right. you got so much out of it. Do you know how much money I've given Jay-Z? <laughs> yes, exactly. I feel I, the same like, way. Whatever he does, I buy Boom, it. bought. And yeah. if I were to meet him, I would be like, thank you so much. And he would be like, thank you for all the money that you gave me. Right, um, right. Well, Nick I Hornby. just got to do the thing that I love with all my heart. <laughs> do you know how many copies of certain people's books I've bought and given out like... Like, you know, party favors. And then I meet that person. I'm like, thank you so much for your work. And I basically put an in-ground swimming pool in their backyard with all the money that I've spent on the work. That is such a good point. But I do owe them still. Exactly. Because they modeled something for me that was transformative for me, which is what happens when you stand in your truth and you follow your joy and you do your love. And so when people are like, well, I'm scared that if I really pursued my true path, it, you know, it might appear selfish. But the problem is your experience of people who pursued their true self was it produced within you tremendous gratitude. You weren't like, oh, right. look at Jay-Z making those rhymes. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're so like- self-indulgent. Right, you're like, thank God this person spread that into the world. Right. Um, there's a couple of questions in here about yeah. that, about yeah. um, I need to find, a number of people asked about creating something and how to create, how do you stay true to your own voice amidst the roar of readers and editors and critics and what do you do with bad self-talk? A, a number of questions. Um, how do I listen to the voice inside of me? All seem to come back to mm. almost like a culture that has given people like a bunch of voices in their head that basically like whatever you do, don't do the thing that brings you most joy. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's all for me. I, I write about this in Big Magic about the difference between being original and being authentic. And I think one of the problems is that you look out there into that mass of already created creative work and you think that is an ocean that I would like be a raindrop in and nobody would even, like everything's been done, you know? Um, you know, somebody sent me an email or something on Facebook the other day saying I want to be a writer but then I go to Barnes & Noble and I see all the books that are already written and it's like, oh man, like... What am I going to do to make a you know a dent in this? Um, and and how am I going to be original enough to stand out um, in this whole field? And the first thing I want to do whenever I'm trying to encourage somebody to be creative is to just liberate themselves from the idea of originality for so many reasons. First of all, it's virtually impossible because everything has already been done. There isn't any theme in humanity that humans haven't already explored from every possible angle. Every story Shakespeare told, he already borrowed from like a million stories that had been told before him. It's all been done, but that didn't stop him from retelling those stories because he was intrigued by those stories and it didn't stop uh, 500 years of writers retelling those stories again um, after he was done because you didn't do it yet. You know, it's all been done, but you haven't done it yet. And the thing people love about Star Wars, people love the originality of Star Wars. And George Lucas is like, I just took all the myths <laughs> in their most basic raw form, a father and a son, a journey to a faraway place. Have you read Siddhartha? <laughs> exactly, it, exactly. You know? There's nothing original about it. Um, so 
as a, and the other thing is when you see work that's forcing itself to try to be original, sometimes it's really off-putting. And, um, and sometimes it isn't. Sometimes it's really beautiful, but sometimes it doesn't have a heart in it. You know, like a lot of times I'll read as a, as a reader, I'll read a book and I'll admire, okay, that's somebody who's really doing original things with language and they're really, but this isn't making my heart feel anything because all this person is trying to do is be different, shock, get attention and that's not moving me it's not i'd rather read a much less well-written book that touches me in some deeply fundamental human way um and i have many times been deeply moved and changed by things that i would say as an artisan that wasn't that well done <laughs> but the authenticity in it was so rich and beautiful that i felt mm-hmm. elevated and transformed by it so the question then comes to you how do you be your most authentic self rather than trying to be your most original self and the answer to me can only be that you follow your curiosity wherever it leads you um and you don't worry about whether it makes sense or whether it's marketable or what demographic is going to be interested in it um your curiosity says to you what would happen if i wrote a book about this i kind of want to see what would happen that's the thing you must do um and trust in that with great humility and you know i just feel like the, our curiosity channel is the channel that the divine sprinkles all sorts of breadcrumbs through um as clues as to you know what were that's how they get you that's how they yeah. get you and if you ignore your curiosity because you're trying to find something bigger um you know something more somebody said, i said i was trying to explain this the other day to someone and they said yeah but eat pray love was really original and i was like are you kidding me it's a travel memoir there's a whole section of that in the bookstore it's a spiritual memoir there's a whole section of that in the bookstore it's a divorce memoir like there's thousands of books there's nothing there's not an original idea in there i went to italy to for pleasure who doesn't do that i went to india on a spiritual journey the beatles did that like everybody oh i went to bali and i found like it was really pretty there's nothing like a travel agent could put that trip together for you, you know? <laughs> that is not why that book resonated with people. That book resonated with people because what I spoke about in there was my authentic pain, my authentic search, my authentic shame, and my authentic transformation. The, the, the structure that it was in is probably the least original thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah, yeah, I'm always struck with, yeah, you, maybe it has been said a thousand times, but it hasn't been said by you. And that's what's interesting to us. Yeah is when you, whoever you are, wherever you are in the world, with your, your unique set of circumstances and fears and longings and hopes and interesting insights, you doing it, now that's interesting. Very, very interesting. Um, somebody here said, uh, what, uh, wants to know, you and I, what are our fight songs? What's on your pulling through playlist? <laughs> Isn't that great? so good. Um, a pulling through playlist. Isn't that fantastic? I'm going to have to rename my playlist. Um, uh, well, I have a lot of Eminem rap anthems. Like, I think he invented the rap anthem. Like which like a, what um, one? Well, Lose Yourself is probably, sure. yeah. you know, like the original rap anthem. Yep. Um, that's sort of a combination of like Eye of the Tiger <laughs> yeah, Run DMC. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. Um, and that one, I mean, basically any any of the songs that basically say, you know, that theme that again, a thing that's been made a million times. World's trying to get me down. You can't get me down. Right. Um, that can be Katy Perry. And, oh, interesting. And You're gonna hear me be, roar. 
you, do, do you play you, it loud? Do you, do you, if you, you don't just, play it loud, what's, okay, what's good. the point? Okay, good. I'm the same way. <laughs> like, I cannot get this thing louder. Um, actually, the one I really love right now is um, Kendrick Lamar's Eye, um, which is Off not, the new album no, or the first the, album? the first album. Yeah. Um, the theme is, the, 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 the chorus is just a repeat of I Love Myself. Oh, wow. Um, he's he's amazing. The, that he is incredible. Um, yeah. And that song is just incredible. Um, yeah. I'm not going to sing it. it. <laughs> I'll dance to it. We'll do a little dance video later. It's funny, the pulling, th- I never thought about I, the distinct songs, uh, Rage Against the Machine, mm-hmm. total pulling through plays for me, Killing in the Name of, um, those got Gorilla Radio are like, oh, I need a little something. Oh, I put that on. Right. Um, that is, oh, I love it. Pulling through. Okay, how about this? Um, Joe Skillin or Joe's Killin? It's a <laughs> sentence or a name. Maybe it's um, Joe Eskelin. It's an in- <laughs> oh Eskelin, or it's an incomplete sentence. Joe is killing in. Um, he says, "Would you rather?" Oh my word! Dance in the rain, run faster than a train, or feel no pain. Is that a lyric from a pulling through song? I don't know what that is. That's got to be a lyric. That must be on his pulling through playlist. Um, I do dance in the rain, so that's something very easily done. What was the third one? Pull of speeding and train. Feel no, or feel no pain. No, I don't want to feel no pain. I don't know what. Then you're not even alive. I want to run faster than a speeding train. And I currently run as like a scared penguin. <laughs> and um, sometimes I run a lot because it feels good, but I am not a fawn running through the woods at all. I look really, nobody looks stupider running than I do. And sometimes like, okay, here's a thing. Sometimes I'll be like in New York City and I'll put my earbuds in and I'll put Eminem or... Kendrick when you go out for a run thinking and you're going to glide. Run. And I will actually start to feel that amazing adrenaline. I'll feel like, <laughs> I'm an amazing, I'm like a, <laughs> I, am, I am a machine. I am a, I am like a, and then I'll pass by a store window and catch a kiss oh, myself. I was just going to say. <laughs> and I'll be like, I'm a 46-year-old plodding woman. I, like, I'm a white woman. <laughs> I'm a white woman in her yoga pants just plodding along 6th <laughs> Avenue not much faster than the people walking As soon around. as you said that about, <laughs> about running in New York, I was like, every time I run in New York, I take off out of the hotel and I'm like, I am flying. And I go by a mirrored building and I'm like, oh no, I'm a tall white guy. <laughs> it's an ostrich on the loose I, right, in New York. Exactly. exactly. Uh, I had a great, I have to say, I had a greatest experience running on the beach in Miami one day where I was having one of those moments where it's like, the surf was coming in and there were pelicans around me and, and I had amazing music in my ears and I was feeling really strong and really fast. And there was this big, overweight African-American guy, maybe in his 50s, running toward me, who was, it looked like it was like his second day running, trying to get in shape. And, um, and, he, <laughs> and he came toward me and I realized we were both so slow and that I must have looked in his eyes as struggling and kind of cute, trying really hard as he looked in my eyes and we gained upon each other and we both just started laughing and we gave each other a fist bump and we were like, yeah! <laughs> you know, like, killing those 12 minute miles. <laughs> it was the best moment of connection in the world. We're like, we're awesome. We're amazing. I was running a couple years ago and some people came by a carload of kids and rolled down the window and yelled, run faster. <laughs> Run faster. I love you like high-fiving strangers. Oh, that's... That's so fantastic. That's where it's at. Um, We saw that we were in the same 
that we both thought we were <laughs> doing a lot better than we were doing. Because <laughs> you feel so great on the inside. Oh, this question is awesome. Um, bon loves picks. B- bone love. Bone love speaks. Um, look at that question with the three red things. Balloons. Yeah. Liz, what are your three favorite things about Rob Bell? Aww. <laughs> oh, it's so cute. We don't have to do that one. No, no, it just no, makes me laugh. Do that. I'm gonna just I'm just gonna pull them out. <laughs> one that he cries all the time, which reminds me of my dad and me and oh, I do. my I husband and, and but most of like I can't be friends with a man who doesn't cry all the time. Commercials. Um, oh, crush me. What a yeah. squish. Um, which I think is a sign of tremendous humanity. Uh, two that you use, I don't know if you know this, but you use the word extraordinary more than anybody I've ever heard in my entire life. And I don't want to now make you, but go back and listen to all the Rob casts, everybody, and listen to how many times Rob Bell uses the word extraordinary. And you know why? Because he thinks this universe is fucking extraordinary and everything (laughs) in it is extraordinary. It's like, that's your (laughs) go-to word because it is extraordinary. Um, I love that. And three, I love the relationship that you have with your family. Um, oh, that's... You guys are a pod of dolphins swimming through the world together. Look, he's going to cry now and say, that's extraordinary. <laughs> <laughs> you are a, the, the best pod of dolphin family that I've ever Oh, that's very kind of you. Where did, where did everybody... Everybody was in here talking they with you, and then as soon as we, we turned the mic on, my kid's like... Whew. I just saw Preston like lingering around the, the back. Maybe he's practicing his guitar. In the music probably <laughs> a pod Kristen I like that mm-hmm. I like that a, a pod dolphin of dolphins pod. we should like, do something around here like yeah, a picture the boys love that we should do like t-shirts <laughs> <laughs> the boys yeah so our high school boys would be like oh good we could do matching dolphin t-shirts and go to Disneyland um ooh here's a good one Ryder Jen Ryder Jen um I have a one year old who keeps me busy and doesn't sleep very well mm. top tips for keeping creative whilst low on time mm. And high on fatigue, parentheses, usually I like to write during a chunk of uninterrupted time, which is non-existent at the moment. Great you know, question. I My instinct is to give you this piece of advice that a monk in India, who I really admired, my friend Swami Vasudevananda, who was one of the wisest, kindest people I ever met, I heard him say to a woman who was the mother of a young child who said that exact same question, but instead of writing, insert the word meditation, um, because she said... It's just been so hard for me since I have this child to take care of, to find the time to meditate. And when I do, I'm so exhausted. And I feel like my meditation practice is suffering and it's making me feel guilty and I long to do it, but I just, I'm shredded right now. And, mm-hmm. um, and he said, I feel like giving you a permission slip for a couple of years not to have to meditate because you have an enormous amount on your hands and it's okay if right now, you can't devote yourself to these two things at the same time. It's okay. It's not going to be like that forever. You know, um, so it's not that I want to say that your writing is not important to this person who asked this question. It might be so important, in fact, that maybe what you could let yourself do to just give your life some more space and rest and care is to just have a conversation with your writing. (laughs) Here I am again personifying things, but there have been times in my life where I've done this with my writing, where I've just said, you know I love you, and you know that I'm devoted to you, but right now, this isn't something I can do for the next few months, because right now, it's all going into whatever I'm going through. Um, So it might be the case 
that here comes Raya. Raya. What's going on? This is my very best friend in the world just walked in. I want to come back to this question because it's important. Okay, we're going to keep um, going. Hi, Raya. Uh, hi. We're going to keep going and then you're gonna, it's going to be fantastic. Hi, sweetie. Oh, my God. Raya's here. Where is she coming from? The airport. Yeah, but where, what part of the country? From the New York City. Yabuso! Yabuso! Hi, mama, dude. I wish you. Hi, baby. Mm. Buddha, Buddha. That's my girl. That face. Hello. <laughs> How are you? Welcome to our house. Thank you. I'm so glad you came Hi. over. Isn't this house amazing? Wonderful. It's my kind of house, you know, open. <laughs> It is modern. Oh my God, I'm in a room right now with like my favorite human beings. On the Here we go. Planet. This is so good. Um, hey, let tea, me in the middle of water, this? something. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah. Let me finish that answer. Okay. Because it's a two-part answer. One of them is if you want a dispensation that says that you can still be a serious creator and you can take some time away from it in order to make sure that you don't die of fatigue and stress and anxiety, then I will give you that dispensation. And you can have a conversation with writing and you can say, once this kid's out of diapers, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, once this kid is sleeping through the night, you might actually need that time to nap right now um, in order to save your poor human animal body um, that can only do so much. Or the other thing is, and this is something that only you, sweet person who asked this question, can possibly answer, and the answer might be different by the day, is that you can push into it really hard, um, and you can make sac bigger sacrifices, you know, um, which is sometimes what you have to do. And then the question becomes, what are you willing to give up in order to have what you really want? So it might be the case that there's something else in your life that you have to give up. Um, there might be some socializing that you have to give up. There might be your favorite television show that relaxes you that you have to give up. There might be movies that you normally go to on Friday nights that you have to give up or restaurants that you, there might be something to be sacrificed in order to make that time um, or maybe not maybe you can pick it up later um, but I'm going to leave that to you to decide whatever you do first and foremost take care of your sweet poor human animal body um, because you can't make good work if, if your poor sweet human animal body that does so much for you and is just trying to survive um, is under stress <laughs> Findley the dog. Um, so be kind to you first and foremost, and then if there's if there's room for the writing, make it. Mm, so good. Don't hurt yourself. So good. Um, okay. A couple. We should do a couple more, and then we should wrap this up. And then we we'll throw one to Rhea, oh, just for fun. Yeah. Pick one out of the hat and throw one to Rhea. I'll give her a little um, intro and then we can okay. put it in there. How do both of you deal with living your life positively when there is so much pain and devastation in the world? Rob, why don't you answer that first? Pastor, oh, Pastor actually, Bell, do you want to take that? This, uh, this is my old see. trick. But I do have an answer, but I want to hear How yours. do we get past the if genocide, child abuse, uh, landfill kids, how God question? I always begin with you have to take God out of it. Just that, that's not, that's going to confuse things. Uh, I generally begin with there's a wisdom on the other side of wisdom. And there's one kind of wisdom that says, here's how the world works, follow the rules. Buy your house, don't rent if you can. Go to a good school. Get with a good partner who's a stable person. And, and then, and that's good, you teach your kids that, you want basic wisdom about how to balance a checkbook. Fantastic, great wisdom. But the problem is sometimes you follow the rules and everything falls apart. Mm -hmm. So there's this wisdom on the other side of wisdom. It's like mm. another kind of, the wisdom after wisdom is what happens if you play by the rules and did all the stuff right mm. and it still fell apart. 
And what's so interesting is when you realize that everything could fall apart and it is all really tenuous. Oftentimes what faith says is you're gonna be fine, you're on solid ground. No, here's the thing, the whole thing could fall apart tomorrow. Everybody you know could get hit by a car. That's actually what could happen in the world. And there are parts of the world where everything is falling apart right And now. it is happening right now. And people's lives are being destroyed. And dr- bombs are dropping left and right. So, so in my experience, true wisdom is the wisdom realizes you have this moment and not much else. Like in the scriptures, there's this great line, we don't even know what tomorrow will bring. Mm. So you are here, and you can enjoy this moment and maybe even do something to make the world a better place. Mm. And so many of the questions of analysis, like even in this question, why God, why, those are all questions of analysis, which are stepping back at a distance and thinking about things from a, a different altitude. But analysis is never ultimately the answer because the answer isn't to stand at a distance from your experience which the modern world is very good at that's Mm. how you build hospitals and airports is to stand at a distance and pick it apart and break it down but your greatest moments were when you were right here and you weren't standing at a distance Mm. and you weren't conscious of the moment you were just in the moment Mm -hmm. which is why we love kids at christmas time because they just open it and they aren't yet ironic or they aren't going oh look at how happy i'm about this gift they're Mm -hmm. just happy about the gift so part of it is there's huge problems in Syria right now and Sub-Saharan Africa has all sorts of problems and there's a drought in California and you will never ever come to the end of all of the horrible suffering in the world. But you can be present in this moment and you can join people in their suffering, which is where really interesting things happen, in my experience. Think about how many stories you've just told in this podcast were about suffering Mm. you weren't like and then my other friend had a mansion (laughs) and we were there and their butler were serving us drinks we were watching the sunset over the hawaiian you know what i mean think about how many of your responses came from and then this fell apart and then this Mm -hmm. didn't work and then this Mm -hmm. person said when we tell stories we tell stories about everything falling apart and somehow the wisdom on the other side of wisdom Mm -hmm. we discovered that we were okay and there was something in the moment after the moment which to me is the, the endless mystery. Mm. You know what I mean? I, no, I, 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 and I like what you always say too about if you're gonna play the why game, you have to play it 100%, which means you also have to ask, why, why have I been so blessed? Why have good things happened? If you're gonna make um, a, yeah. You know, you gotta, you gotta really investigate the good as well. If um, you're gonna do two columns and talk about all the bad things that have happened and God is gonna get the blame for all the bad things, right. then what about all the good things? Because right. you don't- Why dolphins? <laughs> um, why Nelson Mandela? Yeah. Why, you know, that game? Why Abraham Lincoln? Why analysis will never ever work. Right. It will. It will leave you all bound up. Why did I find you? Why did I find my friend Ray? Why? Um, there's that wonderful song. I think it's Waylon Jennings who wrote it, or he sings a version of it. But why me, Lord? Where he says, "What did I ever do to deserve even one of these blessings from you?" Right, right, like, right. Where you have to say, "Why? Why am I?" You know, and and then that of course brings up the ancient question of why do Good things happen to bad people. Why is luck so poorly distributed? Why why am I lucky and you unlucky? Why was yesterday I unlucky and you? We don't know. And we won't know. Um, and so even bringing the why question is a wonderful way to sort of stop doing anything in your life. Yes. It um, avoids the real thing, which is you are here. You're here. We don't know what it yeah. is, but you're here. And I would, I would um, prescribe to this person who asked this question that they go look up a poem 
by my favorite poet, whose name is Jack Gilbert. Um, no relation to me. And Jack Gilbert wrote my favorite poem, which is my favorite prayer in the world. It's a poem called A Brief for the Defense, in which he lays out in the most amazing terms his defense for enjoying the world even as it is full of suffering, without denying it. Right, um, and that's the key. Without denying it, but but recognizing that you also have a duty to to find pleasure and goodness too, even as this is all going on. And the, the line that I love so much, in fact, I have some of it tattooed on my wrist, is we must have the stubbornness to accept our gladness in the ruthless furnace of this world. We must have the stubbornness to accept our gladness in the ruthless furnace of this world. Um, and the other thing that I find um, comforting when I become overwhelmed is a line from Fred Rogers, the great saint, Mr. Rogers, who said that his mother taught him that when you see a disaster, look around the periphery and notice what you also see, which is a lot of people helping. And so pay attention to the helpers and focus in on them. Because what's happening right now in Syria is an absolute nightmare, but there are millions of displaced people. There are also hundreds of thousands of people helping those people. Um, and when we focus on only the disaster and not the humanity and the grace that's going around the periphery of the disaster as human beings trying to help other human beings. My cousin works for a relief organization and she's living in Turkey for the next two years helping. And you know what she's doing? She's sitting in a crappy office in fluorescent light doing data processing on how to get like energy bars and water and tents most efficiently to the right sort of people. There's nothing glamorous about it. it nothing you would make a biopic out of. That's what she's doing for the next two years. She's helping. She's a tiny little piece of a solution to a problem that looks like it has no solution. And there's thousands of her. You know, um, so maybe if it's so upsetting to you, you need to maybe be one of those people. Um, and maybe it doesn't mean that you have to move to Turkey for two years, but maybe you start in your own community and you say, do we need any helpers here? Is there a homeless shelter? Is there a women's resources? Are there some people volunteering and working really hard to help people and I could help them? So instead of focusing on the disaster, could I look around the periphery of the disaster and see who's moving toward it and join them? Because that's where the grace is and that's where the opportunity is to have hope in a world of hopelessness. So good. Okay, let's do a couple more because this one is sweet. This one is from, I recognize this name. Years ago, I, in my early 20s, I was a youth pastor here in Southern California. And a couple of these kids were like extraordinary. And there was this one girl that was just like, she was seriously a big magic. I didn't see her after I left, so she would have been 16. On tour, she stands in the meet and greet line on the latest tour. And I'm like, man, she looks familiar. And she comes up. So this would have been 21, 22 years later. And I was like, is that Hannah? She's like, yeah. And she had her partner with her, and she says, I've become a priest. I was like, no. What? I knew you. I knew you had mojo. Whoa. So this is her question. Hey, Hannah. Hi, Hannah. Oh. This is her question. How do you let go of shit? <laughs> oh you know when you have a weird, bad interaction with someone and you just can't stop obsessing oh or rehashing? God. Or if you're disappointed or hurt or angry or all three, what techniques or tips help you take a deep breath and move on? Or is that <laughs> even what you want to do? Mm, my God. I'm so... Okay. Look, I do this. I mean, there's a certain event that happened in my life a couple of years ago. I think Ray knows what it is where I had a problem with some friends. And I, um, how many times a day do I think about it? Any, anytime there's a silence, basically, my mind goes to that. And I review it and try to think 
how could I have done that better? God, I like, oh, I should have, I shouldn't have this. I couldn't, you know, just. And what I'm doing now about it is the first thing I say is put that cigarette down. That's what I say to myself. Because I realized, oh, it's a kind of mental smoking. Oh, yeah. Right? Um, and you're giving yourself brain cancer. And put that cigarette down. Put that. And, and so you can put a cigarette down after you've lit it if you're trying to quit smoking, right? You can even take one or two puffs off the cigarette and then say, wait a minute, what am I doing? I don't smoke these anymore. And you can put it out, right? So I do that now. I go, put the, put it. What do you, what do you have this? Like, I'll catch myself. I'm on the beach and I'll actually put the gesture of a cigarette to my mouth and I'll go, what are you doing smoking this thing again? You know this is bad for you. And you know you don't want to smoke this anymore. So just put it out. And I may have smoked it almost down to the filter by that point because sometimes I don't catch myself till I'm like five minutes in the rumination. Mm -hmm. I don't catch mm -hmm. myself hanging onto it. And then I'm like, oh, 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 put that cigarette right out, you know? Um, so I've been doing that seven, eight, nine times a day now. When I catch myself smoking, regret, smoking shame, um, smoking bitterness, I'm like whoop, we don't do that, we don't, like we want to live a long time, we want to have a good life. And then the next thing I say right after that, instead of shaming myself for it, and saying you dummy smoking those bad cancer sticks, <laughs> the first thing I say, I put the cigarette out, right in that moment, and I say, I don't want you to suffer, Liz. Um, so let's not do this. I just say it right out loud to myself. I don't want you to suffer. So instead of beating myself up and saying, what's the matter with you that you can't drop this? Because that doesn't help. I find that if I just put it down and then just say, I'm putting this cigarette, I'm taking this cigarette out of your brain, this bad thing you're smoking on right now because I don't want you to suffer because I like you. You're a good person. You're doing your best. I don't want anybody to suffer. I'm not in the game of wishing people would suffer. Not me, not anyone else. Um, so it's that one-two punch of look, you're going to do it. I slip. I go into like shame mode. I catch myself doing it. I say, put that cigarette out. And then right away I say, I don't want you to suffer ever again. We didn't come here to suffer. That's not what we're doing. It doesn't bring anything to you. It doesn't help anybody. Put it out. Move on. And I might have to do that literally 15 times a day with a couple topics that are still sort of fresh wounds in my mind. Um, I don't know how long I'll have to do it. Eventually, I assume I'll just quit smoking. <laughs> but I don't want to suffer. Yeah. I don't want to suffer. Uh, needlessly, suffering might happen to me, but I don't want to do it to me. That's well, not nice. When I was first starting out, there was this guy who came to the church that we'd started, and he was a leader in his particular field, and so he had this sort of alpha male thing, and he would sort of speak to me in this condescending, I've got it all figured out, here's a... And he, he had managed, he would say these things that would, he had some gift, like a Katy Perry song, to plant what he said in the front of my brain and I couldn't get it out. Ugh. You know that feeling when it would go on loop? Ugh. And it would be so painful that I would be like replaying it, but you're also trying to like keep a lid on that bucket. You know that feeling? Right. And then I came across this insight that said the reason why the Psalms in the middle of the Bible have endured, because there's these Psalms like... God dash my enemy against the rocks. No, smash his head against smite the rocks. Him. No, smite his kids <laughs> on a cliff and throw boulders at their kids. And I was always saw it as very primitive, like very nasty, primal, brutal. Yeah. But I stumbled across this, oh, no, no, no. When you cry out and express all the things that you want done to your enemy you're less likely to actually do them. 
So it's almost like make lists of all of the things that you want to see happen to your enemy. And by the end, you may have less energy for making lists. So it said that the reason why these prayers endure, endure over the years is that's what a healthy spirituality is like, is you get it all out. Right. So I would go on a run and I would start the run and be like, I decided I would start making prayers, same prayers about this guy, like all the bad things I wanted to have happen because I had so much anger and pent up stuff for this right. guy. Right. And I would literally discover I had about, like at first I had like about two miles and then as I developed this practice, right. I would have like a mile. You just couldn't sustain it. Well, the next time I would have like a mile and then I'd have like, by a half mile in, I'd gotten it. Like I would literally run out Literally this run stuff. out of it. And what struck with, oh yeah, even, yeah, even literally run out of it. You, you'd run but out what of struck it. me is when somebody says something that's like, it's hurtful, it's harmful, it's stuck in there, is my first thing is to like shove it down there. Right. But, but that actually makes it more powerful. Right. But if you drag it up, if you write the phrase out and then you like record every last thought you can have about it, the trick almost is to bore yourself with it. <laughs> because the problem is we keep, right. we're scared. I don't really want to face the full pain right, of it. Right. And so I just keep a lid on it and I open up the lid a little bit, right. which gives it all sorts of life. Yeah. You know it's what I mean? Bacteria and Five days it later, it's still got, but you pull the <laughs> yeah. bucket off and you pour it out and you actually name all the contents right. and you exhaust yourself with every last thing. Why does it hurt? It hurts because of this. Why else does it hurt? Right. Like you literally interview yourself right. about the phrase. Right. It's, right. it's exhausting at first, but it actually, you just like get it out of your What like, a good practice. It's, it's helped me so much. For wasps like me who aren't allowed to... Um, express it's, things that's very good no no it's it seriously helped me so much because yeah. what i found is it like quakers was originally a deriv, der, you know a derisive term right that they took they had those tremors yeah. so there are all these groups of people who their name was originally like a put down right how do you get to the point where the thing that was said you can start to own it like queer pride exactly yeah and what i discovered is is now if somebody says something something comes my way and it's like that and I go through that process I get to the well maybe I am a da 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 <laughs> I get to the I get right. to the maybe to it the is M &M. all about me like at the end you know <laughs> yes. everything we need to know about our relationships is in the last scene of M of uh, 8 Mile with Eminem right. where he takes everything that could be said about him and right. he says it right right um, it's shocking to me how often I love often how much we've been talking about Eminem in this podcast <laughs> specifically about 8 Mile <laughs> <laughs> but it's so true. Um, so anyway. Oh, by the way, there's one more here. I just wanted to. This person okay. says, Rob and Liz, love you both and so happy you love each other. <laughs> it's not Aww. even a question. Aww. How much fun was that? This is so good. Okay, so Big Magic comes out. Yes. Um, you're going on a tour. You're going all over. Yes. We're going to come to, uh, I think it's Pasadena. Pasadena, yeah. Pasadena. Yeah. We're going to come to your tour. I'm, I'm going to see you again. I'm going to see you again and again and again and again. And then we're doing this event together this weekend. We're getting the band back together, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. I heard you my. You told me you thought you're, that you're my opening act. That you're going to come on. No, right I said me. that I'm your opening act because I saw the schedule and I'm speaking right before you. That's awesome. Because I have a. Um, we're speaking at this um, this incredible another Oprah Winfrey event. It's going to be awesome. And and I have the low energy moment of the day. Like around 2.30. So? 
when everyone's mm. had lunch and their blood sugar's down and they've been I don't, listening is there a to low inspirational spe- speeches since 8 a.m. At an Oprah Winfrey event, is there a low energy <laughs> moment? Not after Rob Bell opens <laughs> for you. <laughs> so, like, you will have them awake and excited and inspired. and I'm going to be the ultimate opening band where after every <laughs> three minutes, which is the length of most songs, I'm just going to say, are you guys tired up to hear this, Gilbert? <laughs> Like, you know how the opening band always does that, and the crowd cheers, and then they feel better about themselves? That's totally going to be me. Oh my god, Rob. My whole talk Um, is, I just want to talk about the time and place when I invited Big Magic into my heart. Oh my god, what if you do a total Mean Girls thing, and you get the notes for my speech, and you give my speech before I give my speech, and then I have to make up a speech on the spot, but because it was spontaneous, it turns out that I foil you, because it's the best speech I ever gave, because you tried to get me, but I ended up getting you. And seriously, what if I walked out and I said, I want to talk about fear. You tell fear to ride in the backseat and fear can't have his hand on the no! wheel or it can't choose the music. I like use every one of your oh statements, God. but they're all sort of disjointed and out of order. You know what I mean? Fear can't have its hand on the back wheel. <laughs> Why would it have right, its right, hand right, on the back wheel? Right. <laughs> and I'll, what's, he, what's, he, what's he even talking about? What's the matter with that guy? Ah. Um... It's going to be awesome. Okay. It's always awesome. Hey, can I um, invite a guest to the guest podcast? Yes. Can I toss a question over to Ray and just yes. see how she'll field it? Can Rhea. I put Ray in my seat and the ask beloved her Rhea. to answer yes, the question do. of how you let go of shit? I want to hear you, you talk about Let's how wrap you let this go up with Ray. Okay. Here we go. First, let me introduce Ray Elias, my very best friend in the entire world. Person who has had one of the most fascinating lives of any yes. human being I've ever met. Born in Syria, migrated to Michigan, became a punk rock musician in Detroit's underground music scene in the 80s, then became a hairdresser, then became a stylist, then became a filmmaker, then became a writer, now sells real estate in New York City. Along the way, a couple detours, long period of heroin addiction, a couple stints in prisons, jails, rehab centers, homelessness. So when I turn this over to Rhea and I ask her how you let go of shit, she has some experience with shit. What's the name of your book, by the way? Of. Harley Loco. Harley Loco? Her memoir is called the name Harley of the memoir? Loco. Okay. And, um, and she's my favorite human being in the whole world. And now Good I'm going to put her on how? to uh, talk about how you uh, let go of things. Because she had some shit. stuff to let go of. <laughs> All right. Do you Seriously. mind if I just hijacked your podcast? Absolutely. I don't, I don't want to waste I invite this it. All right. I invite it. <laughs> Seriously, people, this it isn't just a podcast. Where else do you get this? It just keeps coming. Hi. Hi. Welcome. You've now switched chairs. Hi. Okay, why don't you lean, come way forward, because okay. otherwise I'm way too loud. I have a very loud voice. Oh my goodness, it sounds great in the headphone here. Okay. How do you like so go shit? Yes. Oh my God. Probably one of the most difficult things to do, and yet, for me... Oh, Liz, you just put me on the spot after a... You got it. You got Six it. Six hour flight. You know, it's in here. Whatever the no, word is. No, 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 no. I know. You know what? Honestly, is for me, I just, um, I just have to spit it out. I have to spit it out. I have to get it out. I have to talk about it. I have to, um, you know, I've been, I've been to all those places that Liz said and. For me, I always think of how people let go of the things that I did to them, how people forgave me, how people mm. um, 
I always put the shoe on the other foot. I always put myself in somebody's shoes because I have been forgiven and, um, and, and really held in my life. You know, I'm 55 and until I was 37, I had no concept of, I always knew what goodness was, but I just couldn't, um, I couldn't make it work for me. You know, I couldn't, and, and, and I tried, I tried, but I just, like, I made my own hell. You know, when you were talking about God making good, good things and bad things, I made all the bad things. And, and the moment I decided to surrender and not to, um, to just give it up and allow whatever it was to sort of take me to the next place, that's, for me, the God thing. And so whenever I need to let go of shit, back to that, I always think, you know, what would, what would this person have done? What would I have done if this person slighted me? I slighted so many people. So I just, you know, I breathe, I really put myself in their shoes and whether it's theirs, whatever it is. And I don't know, I just have this capacity of just being so grateful for every moment that I'm here that it's really not hard to hold on to things. I love what... So when somebody does something to you, you remember all the people who set you free. Absolutely. And that is where you find the resources. This has been extended to you time and time again. So of course I can extend it to them. Time and time again. And for things that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemies, or and for things that... And people forgave you for. Yes. And things that I haven't been able to forgive myself for. People have forgiven you for. Absolutely, hundred percent. So when you when someone does something to you, and and apparently Liz and I would be like, ah, <laughs> yeah, you were like, oh, I'm just like, I'm just like, oh, I get why they're doing that because whatever it is, like they're having a bad. It's never about me, you know what I mean? Mm. It's never about me ever, and I know that go. so well at this point because it was never about the people that I did it to. It was always about me. So you know what it you know what it feels like to not be, you know, paying any attention to the people you're harming. (laughs) It's like you know, right? It was always about my needs and what I needed to do for myself, and that's why I harmed people. And so now being on this side, when people do their dance and they hurt me or they try and they this, I always think this isn't about me. This is about their pain. This is about their suffering. This is about whatever it is that they're going through. I am just this vehicle that is allowing them to get it out. And that's okay because I can, you know, it's like, ouch. But then I just kind of like, you know, I call Liz and I'm like, oh, this person, blah, blah, blah. The moment that I talk to her about it or, or anybody, I get it out. And I'm like, oh, that wasn't about me at all. You know, so mm. there's an inherent knowing. So good. Yeah. Yeah. That's how Seriously, I like how shit. fantastic is that? I asked. I remember the moment that I really fell in love with Ray. I asked you, "How do you? How? Why are you so generous with everybody?" Not, and I and I mean spiritually generous, just yeah. like allowing a lot of space for people to misbehave, being like, "Ah, it's just how they are." It's just. And you said, "If I were to list for you the things I've done that people had forgiven me for, you would see 
that I have no business holding anybody in judgment. And you said that to me, and then I was like, oh God, the things I've done, oh, oh, like you just yeah. flipped the yeah. whole That's know. so good. Hey, Preston. So, anyway, so good. Thank you, Raya. Thank you. Thank you both. <laughs> it took me a while to get it's there. Awesome. No, it's fantastic. It's just fantastic. That gives me so much to think about. Thank you again, Thanks. both of you. You showing up, beautiful. Liz, as always. Now, let's go out to um, my jam room, get some oh, guitars and drums. Liz is going to dance. You're going to play guitar. Preston, <laughs> you want to play bass? Uh, I'm going to play drums. Oh. And she's going to dance, and we're going to film it. That's Me, what we're going to do. Guitar? Wow. Or whatever you want to play. Well, there's like drums, bass, guitar, whatever. We got it all. Like drums. Ukulele. Oh, oh. Then I'm going to lay down a fat funk bass groove, <laughs> and she's going to shimmy her hips, and it's going to be fantastic. Let's do it. Grace and peace, everybody.